My little clam shucking gloves can't handle a bomb. (laughs) Testing, testing. Welcome to the Fish Nerds, the podcast about fish, fishing, and eating fish. It's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Doc Martin, and here are the nerds. I'm Dave. I'm Clay. Anything is fair game. It's a good bet that recording this intro seven times in a row will get better eventually. (laughs) (laughs) It will get better because we are going to talk about salmon fishing. We have to talk about salmon fishing. Do you salmon fish? Uh, when I can get out, I do, although I've only done it like once or twice. But. Right. But uh, in, in New Hampshire, fishing for landlocked Atlantic salmon, it's, like a, it's a rites of passage for springtime. happens April 1st every year, and fishermen head out to the big lakes, and they line up on the shores or in their kayaks or on their trolling boats, and they just try to catch all those little salmon. Yeah, up in the White Mountains, these landlocked Atlantic salmon, which originally came from Maine, um, they— they are popular to fish for. So, and you went out on the opening day, right? I did, and this year was weird because uh, opening day happened. You know, same time it always happens on, but it, ice out happened three weeks earlier. And usually, ice out it doesn't happen by opening day. Usually, you're still the lakes are still frozen. You're fishing the edges of the ice. So, very strange mm. opening day this year. And talking to Fish and Game guys, they said the salmon run mostly was over before it began. You know, before opening day happened. Wow. So it was so really the changing climate, the regulations need to start catching up with sort of the reality of our changing climate. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and if you look at Maine, for example, they rolled their season back two weeks because ice out happened so early. They said, oh, well, if the water's warmer, let's just start fishing earlier. I bet we start seeing more states do that. It, it makes sense. And what's the big deal? Get people fishing, get their tax money. It works. You know, fish don't spawn on the calendar. They spawn on each other. Yeah. <laughs> if, if they spawn on the calendar, it's a mess. Terrible, um, yeah. What? <laughs> Terrible. Is, how did you do? Uh, so my friend Vinny and I went, uh, and it was tons of people. Vinny! Yeah, hey, Vinny. Tons of people there. Um, we saw a few people catching fish. We were fishing with uh, worms and lures, and people were catching fish just floating a uh, smelt under bobbers. That was the big one. And we didn't have bobbers or smelt or the patience to sit on a dock and wait. So we, we walked the shoreline, casted, and we talked to people, and then we left. That was it. Oh, well, yeah. there you go. Well, at least you got out. We got out. We saw some pictures, some fish, and that was nice. So that's it. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Well, it's all about getting out there and getting started, which is what we should do with this podcast. Back in February, I had an opportunity to go down to the Virginia Beach uh, during February vacation up here. And very cold, terrible place in the wintertime. <laughs> uh, so we decided to do all inside stuff. And I tweeted uh, to the Virginia Aquarium that, that the fish nerds are in town. Can you get me some behind-the-scenes stuff? And they said yes. So they invited us, my family, to come to the aquarium and I sat down with Karen Burns, their educational specialist, and we talked, gosh, like an hour about uh, sustainable fishing and eating sustainable fish. They have a program called Sensible Sensible Seafood, 
Uh, and you can go to virginiaaquarium.com and read all about it. But anyway, so I sat down with her, and this is what we came up with. I edited it down from about an hour to a half an hour for you. So uh, <laughs> here it is. Fishners.com. I'm at the Virginia Aquarium today, and I'm hanging out with Karen Burns. And Karen Burns is, well, tell you, say your title again, Karen. I'm an education specialist here at the aquarium, so I oversee all of our public programs for guests just like you who are visiting our aquarium on a daily basis. I'm just so excited. My wife, Kristen, is here. Kristen, say hi. Hi there. How are you? And Kristen's a sometimes guest in the show. Sometimes guest. Uh, and so we're here today to talk about sustainable seafood. And one of the, one of the things that the fish nerds love doing is talking about all things fish. We're so happy to be at the aquarium. Uh, and we love to eat fish also. And with eating fish, we always get into a controversial area of like, what fish should we eat? What fish shouldn't we eat? Can you talk about the Sensible Seafood Program? Sure. Um, the Sensible Seafood Program is a sustainable seafood initiative at the Virginia Aquarium. Um, we launched our program back in 2008. We are partners with the Monterey Bay Aquarium, their Seafood Watch program. So we get all of our research from them, but we take that uh, research and we tailor it towards this mid-Atlantic region, which is kind of unique. We've got fish coming and going through this area uh, throughout the year. So we wanted to focus on some of the choices that were going to be available for people who were here eating in our restaurants and uh, buying food here locally to see what was good for them and what was a good thing for them to buy. Perfect. Uh, and, and that's exciting. We went out for dinner the other night to, to Crocs. What did you think of that place, Kristen? That place was fantastic. Yeah, Crocs is one of our program partners. We have about 71 program partners, and um, Crocs Restaurant has been on board since the very beginning, um, really promoting sustainable, whether it's seafood or other products that are available here locally. All right, so 71 partners. Mm-hmm. List them. Go. List them. Uh, let's see. <laughs> hey, um, no, we have about 71 restaurant partners, and then we also have business partners as well. And they have all pledged to serve something that is a sustainable option. They may not have everything sustainable on their menus, but we're hoping that consumers will make choices, and they will choose those options on the menu that have our Sensible Seafood logo next to them. And then by making those choices, we as consumers can drive what is on menus. And so some of those things that may not be sustainable for today will take a little break and maybe come back after those populations rebound. Which is really important. Uh, one of the problems with introducing new species to the menu, let's say you're, you've got you know, all these fish that people can't eat anymore because we've eaten too many of them. We bring a new species in, uh, it becomes a marketing issue. Are there any fish that you guys had to deal with where maybe you have to rename a fish? Oh, that's a really interesting question because we do have um, the Virginia Marine Products Board is uh, on our advisory panel, and they're always looking to promote things that are local. And uh, one of the more interesting items over the years has been uh, the Chesapeake Ray or Cow Nose Ray, and that certainly does not sound appealing on a menu. So that is a type of, um, of fish that they have tried to promote locally, but really part of the issue is deciding on a name that's going to be appealing to to customers because the Chesapeake Ray or even Cow Nose Ray is not one of those things that you're going to jump in and probably try, although it is in, it's very good. So a few years ago, you had a campaign. Uh, I don't know if it came through that you guys are just in the area, but it was... Was it Save the Bay, Eat a Ray? Was that the, the mantra I was hearing? Yes, that was a couple of years ago. They were promoting that. Um, one of the Ray's uh, 
food sources are oysters. And as you probably know, oysters are a kind of... Uh, signature species for the Bay Area, and there's lots of efforts to restore the oyster populations in the Bay. So people were thinking, well, maybe if we kind of promote eating ray, that'll cut down on the predation on the oysters, and the oysters will rebound. Well, like every issue, that's really complicated, and it's not as simple as that. But that was one of the the mantras for the area as far as promoting eating uh, local ray, which is very abundant and available. But of course, course it is a stingray so it has a barb so there's some issues there it's always a problem right always a problem all right so so uh facebook had some people chimed in on this specific topic of renaming fish okay, okay. so rhett talbot who's from mid-coast maine so way up okay but a total nerd he's an artist and a photographer uh he asked uh he asked too often we shift to new species that are data deficient in order to alleviate pressure on overfished stocks we must have good data and data-based adaptive fisheries management in place before we start fishing an underutilized and seemingly abundant species. Uh, ask the folks at the aquarium, that you, Karen, about the Chesapeake Ray fishery, which we just talked. I should ask that before. <laughs> how is it as a fishery, just as an angler, how is it? That is a really interesting question. I just last night read an article put out by Virginia Institute of Marine Science on just that, that topic is that we're promoting Ray as a sustainable um, alternative for some other things. And really, what those researchers are saying is, wait a minute, we need to really assess the stocks. We are assuming they're abundant, but do we really have the data to support that? So that's an amazingly timely um, question from, from, your, from your guests, because we do have to evaluate those, and that is something that we, of course, at the aquarium do not do. We rely on the fisheries scientists and Monterey Bay Seafood Watch scientists to look at the these species. If there is a local species that um, may be important to our area, we can actually um, look to Monterey Bay and ask them to evaluate a species. And we've done that in the past. Some things that are um, listed on their red list, which may here locally be a sustainable fishery. So they have actually done that for us. And in some cases that has moved something from a red list to a yellow list. And that may just be here locally. So that's how we can avoid those types of issues. So it sounds like this list is sort of fluid. Things might go on the sustainable fish list and then be removed from the sustainable fish list. Where do people go to look for what is on this list? What, what would be a good source if people want to eat sustainably? Um, that, that's a great question. And that is the beauty of this program is that something right now might be on an avoid list. And it could be there's a number of programs, sustainable fisheries or sustainable seafood programs from NOAA to Monterey to the Aquarium Sensible Seafood Program. They're all actually asking consumers to do the same things. But back to the original question of that red list, absolutely. Things I've seen over the eight years that I've been directly involved with sustainable fish and fishery programs, I've seen the move. And that's great. That speaks to the fact that populations can rebound and they can be moved after uh, evaluation. The way folks can find out information, well here locally certainly they can go to the Virginia Aquarium website and we do have a sensible seafood page. I was reading your pocket guide. Good. Uh, I noticed um, in here it says I should avoid eating skate. 
Now, how is a skate different than a ray? And ray is not even on there at all. Ray and skate don't even look the same, at least the species locally. A cow nose ray is kind of a red, fleshy meat, and a skate is more of a white, flaky fish. So it totally looks different, and it would taste different. But to the general consumer who may not know that, they're just going to use that general terminology. It, it so. happens, yeah. All right, so this is from Doc Martin. We have a fisheries biologist on the Fish Nerds uh, team, and okay. she's in Kansas. She's a professor. Okay. Um, she's very nice. Um, <laughs> but she, she's totally, I mean, the nerdiest of the nerds. Uh, and so there's a lot of, she's sending a ton of questions. And we may not get them all. Okay. But, uh, so she says, common names and local names of fish cause problems. However, scientific names are rarely used. Is there a better solution? What might that be? And how would you implement that? Hmm. Great question. And I'm just going to use the the best example of that is uh, Chilean sea bass. So Chilean sea bass has been on the avoid list for a long, long time. But in fact, there is a sustainable fishery. Um, it's been certified by Marine Stewardship Council or MSC that is available. The actual name for a Chilean sea bass, because that's the name you'll see on a, a menu or in the markets or whatever, is a Patagonian toothfish. It is a very unattractive-looking fish. I love them. So, <laughs> once again, so cool. you see that name on a menu. Is anybody going to buy that? Probably not. But, once again, we need to also look. If it's on a menu, it's up to us to ask the chef where they got that. And, yes, it is available sustainably. It's it's probably a more difficult product to get, but I know there are restaurants actually right here that do serve the sustainable source right. because it's good. Right. So when, to go back to that question, mm-hmm. to really focus in a little bit, I think she's looking at, like, can we use maybe scientific names as your ingredients list, basically, when you're at a restaurant so you know no matter what – on your list, it's scientific names, and then on the menu, whatever local name they want to give it. For example, up in New, New, New England, um, they're starting to put spiny dogfish on menus, but le- labeling it as Cape Shark. And if you're not, as a consumer, knowing what's what is really going to be more difficult as we rename fish for the market. So what if we used locally whatever name you want, but as almost like... As an ingredients list, ingredients would be like whatever the Latin name is or the scientific name. So you know for sure that's the fish you're eating. That's a really interesting question and one I have to say I've never gotten before, nor have I addressed. And I think part of it may just be a logistical thing for restaurants, putting all that information on a menu. Maybe there's other ways that restaurants could choose to address it whether it's by a table tent on their table, which might make for some interesting reading and some education at the same time. So as you asked that question, my wheels started turning in my head that maybe some of our, you know, maybe another initiative down the road would be working with restaurants to do just that. We provide that information and that scientific content, but knowing that this is what it is on the menu and this is what it is in the scientific community. So that's a interesting and it's, idea. And it will also is tricky because the FDA actually regulates naming fish Mm -hmm. because you can't just go out and rename a fish so you can market it better because that's misleading to the consumer so this if you had a labeling system where scientific names were always used under whatever name you would have some solution. And, and we run across that issue right here at the aquarium because we have guests from all over the world. So there may be a fish in one of our aquariums that we call a redfish, but worldwide it could be any number of names. So that does even con- confuse some of our guests too. So we as educators really have to be on top of our game. So when somebody's calling, because we have sheep's head in our Chesapeake Bay Aquarium, not at all like the sheep head that's found in California off the coast, totally different fishes, but they have the same common name. 
same. So once again, it's a thing we struggle with here in our education world because none, you know, all of us are not going to be able to remember all the names of all the fish we have scientifically. Some no. of them, yes. But. Well, it's impossible. And even locally. Yeah. I mean, you, you can go even, like, I don't know Virginia well, but I know in New Hampshire, you can go in one corner of a tiny state like that and pumpkin seed sunfish are called pumpkin seeds. And you go 20 miles away, they're called kibbies. And you go, anyway, so Absolutely. We just, we're terrible at calling things what they are, mm-hmm. especially with fish. Yeah. All right. So let's get into some con- conservation conversation. Okay. All right. And the, the whole point of this whole thing is to conserve species, right, and protect them. So, uh, Rhett, again, comes back to our, one of our nerds up in Maine. Okay. Uh, he says, I'd like to know how you balance the health of the environment with the health of fishing communities and human health. So, how do you put it all together? Um, once again, you know, looking to our resources that we rely on to make our selections for our cars, um, they do look at all those things across the board as far as the overall health of a species, whether it be... Um, uh, any type of contaminants or habitat or um, just sheer numbers of the fishes, they're looked at, at a, on a number of different criteria that will evaluate that species. And, uh, you know, one of the newest topics to kind of be on the forefront is um, is the human issues, human rights issues are now coming into play with the evaluation of species. So one of the, one of the, m- difficulties of this type of program and this type of education is there's so many layers to it. It's not black and white. It's not cut and dry. It's not eat this, don't eat this. When you look at any given species, you have to look at the species as a whole, where it's from, and ask questions. So it's really just to spearhead some conversation between the the restaurants, the providers, distributors, the consumers. Everybody just needs to be aware of these Mm -hmm. types of um, questions and issues. But no card, no program is going going to be able to say do this don't do this it's really up to us to do a little bit of digging and know know the information right, know what you're putting in your body and just this morning in new york times uh there was front page was an article about uh the u.s will not be importing any more fish that are collected by slaves and that was uh right front page today so wow, it's, haven't it's, gotten to the, the paper conversation's today. been happening Excellent. it's always ongoing and you know, again, fish being so important. Uh, one more really important question this is from uh, zoe uh, what kind of fish goes best with peanut butter Hmm. Well, I love peanut butter and I love fish, so I'd I'd be willing to make a nice peanut sauce and put it on most. Well, now on, on some white fish oh of some sort. That there, sounds that? really good. The answer is jellyfish, of course. Oh, always <laughs> oh. my dog. So right now we are in the coral reef part of the area. So right here there looks like there's a few rays and unicorn fish and things like that. The unicorn fish right there. A unicorn fish has a has a long pointy kind of horn like thing which is really looks more like a nose, but it's called a unicorn fish, I think. I just learned about him when I was little. It was on Oh, um, I don't, I think this is a model of the coral reef. It grows, it only grows one, the coral reef only grows one foot every hundred years. That is a small amount in a hundred years. There's also this really cool, is that a shark over there? There's a shark over there, and there's fish that's licking it. (laughs) 
So, I'm wondering if that shark ever eats any of the fish in here. They're really cool. A lot of them come out at night. Um, would you like to tell some names of the fish that's in here? Uh, sure, there's the uh, spotted eagle ray, the black wedged butterfly fish, blue cheek butterfly fish, red tail butterfly fish, rice butterfly fish, green blue chromis, sea goldie, Diana's hogfish, green birdmouth rat. Scott, who has no last name. Uh, wants to know if there's genetic differences between domestic and wild versions of various species of fish. So if you farm a fish or if it's planted as a, as a young fish into the system. And then um, are some of these differences more pronounced as the fish ages? And how concerned should shops be about these fish or shoppers be, consumers be for evolutionary impacts of these fish as we seed the environment? Okay, so the whole farmed versus wild caught is a huge issue, period. I mean, once again, no cut and dry, no yes, no, do this, don't do this. Farm salmon has... Um, gotten a bad rap just as an example you know it goes back to the early messages that it was it was bad don't eat farm salmon but I can tell you that over the last few years there have been great strides in the farming of salmon we could go into a whole show on just that but it is not as as easy as don't eat this as far as the farm salmon goes once again you just need to know where that product comes from I assume he might be addressing like genetically modified fishes is where that question is coming from. I'm not an expert on that, but once again, there's lots of research done on it, and some say it is not bad and it's okay to eat these fish. Others say don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And as far as the taste, that sort of thing, wild caught and farmed are certainly, to me personally, there, there's a slight difference, but I, I like the fish, so, you know, I try it, I buy it, and if I like it, I'm going to buy it again, whether it's farmed, as long as it's sustainable, um, as long as, whether it's farmed or wild caught. Okay, great. So Brian Taylor wants to know, often the case is given that we should stop eating one species of fish over another to help it rebound. What sustainable management principles are in place to protect the new species we are told to enjoy? So we say, all of a sudden, you know what, stop eating red drums, start eating uh, raise mm-hmm. um, do we worry about those new species getting too much pressure I think that goes back to the question a few questions ago about evaluating new species and not just making blanket statements and uh, let's start eating this we need to make sure we've got the science behind it and the research behind it that says this is okay to start eating because a lot of the um, programs and some of the uh, you know, some of our initiatives are looking to some of those species that are caught maybe as bycatch or whatever you know kind of that trash fish mentality and there are some really creative chefs that are using those type of fish that don't have that sexy name if you will for the menu but they're good and they know how to prepare them and they have that customer base that is waiting and anxious for trying some of those things because otherwise those fish are just going to be potentially just tossed back in the ocean then they're not being used in the restaurant and they're they're not being utilized by the fishermen at all so at virginiaaquarium.com, I was reading about your sensible seafood, and I think my favorite kind of concept that most of us should be looking at is, again, where you source your food from, but eating on that idea of eating locally. Probably the most sustainable fish for most people is what's caught 
by local fishermen off their shores and who know what's happening in the water all the time. So I love that piece of advice. Um, before we get into talking nutrition and restaurants and how to shop for fish, which we're going to do next, um, mm. what did the uh, fishermen say to the magician? What did the fishermen? Oh, I'm so bad at jokes. I don't know. This is again from Zoe. It's uh, pick a cod, any cod. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> In New England, we call cards cods. I'm actually right. from New England. Where are you from? So, so I'm, I'm from Connecticut, but all my relatives are in New Hampshire and Maine. I'm Sam. These tons of, tons of fish are swimming around me. There's tons of rays, and the rays look kind of silly because their noses are pointy, but the rest of them are like round. It's weird. There is tons of coral. Little tiny little fish that swim up and down. And there and there is lots and lots of big fish, but there's also sharks. Tiny ze- zebra sharks. He is always hiding. Zoe, can you see the shark? Yes, I can. It's very interesting because it's called a zebra shark and you know zebras have stripes, but uh, only baby zebra sharks have stripes. The adults have spots. That is very interesting. Question, I think. Can I jump in? Yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm looking at your next heading there, nutrition. But I'm actually wondering, we've talked a lot about the restaurants and your 71 restaurants. But um, as we've been walking around, we've been seeing a lot of um, charter boat companies. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if this sustainable seafood, um, if you'd made any inroads with um, charter boats that take people out, deep sea fishing, sport fishing, are there any captains that um, have this on their mind as well? Um, I think so. Um, we have not um, we have not done a lot specifically with that community, but we are involved with them through a lot of eff- different efforts with the aquarium. So it is something that they've been educated on, and they're certainly aware of the aquarium's program through some of our other efforts. So, um, so I guess the answer is yes. It's not a community that we have been able to spend a lot of time with and it's really just resources within the aquarium so we do where we think we can make the most good and make the most impact but certainly that is an audience that we need to make sure is educated on these topics one really important question this is my favorite question we got because maybe i don't know why it made me last up but mark uh, verta asked the question he says tell me more about what where tilapia is from and what is a tilapia Oh, my gosh. Oh, I don't know a lot about specifically about tilapia. I just know it goes good with pretty much anything. It doesn't have a lot of flavor on its own. It's It's the tofu of the sea. There you go. Tilapia is nature's tofu. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So we have this this kind of like this this fishery world. 
where where people are way into cooking fish and people who the more people who cook fish who are in this nerdy level, a lot of them get really snobby about their fish, and tilapia is like the joke that they always make, and that's what they, I think he was going mm-hmm. for. Yes, I for think there. I think those of us who are a little more adventurous with our our fish choices, whether it be in a restaurant or uh, as a home cook, are looking for some other alternatives as well. So that's a nice beginner's beginner's fish. What's the What's the most creative fish you've eaten? What's the most exciting thing that you've thought you would never eat, but someone fed it to you, and you were like, "Holy smokes, that's terrific." Uh, let's see. Well, before I was really educated on something, I'd had, you know, barramundi and some of these things, which I know are readily available now. Um, I've had um, Chesapeake Ray a number of times. I've had it made, uh, oh gosh, I've had it in tacos. I've had it as a, as a Rabin version of a Reuben, which was delicious. Um, so that was, was like with some barbecue Ray. And yeah. dressing and all that? On, yes, wow. actually, they, one of our chefs here a couple of years ago did it. We have a Sensible Seafood Fest every May, and his featured dish was the Rabin, and and he did a smoked ray, and it was delicious. So, I'm going to have to start experimenting more in that direction. That sounds so good. Yeah, it was it was very good. But I'm pretty much I'm a pretty adventurous eater. So, and I'm I travel quite a bit. So I'm I'm usually up for whatever. Good. And then this is the final big impossible question to oh, ask. You, okay. okay. And this is from Doc Martin, who often is the one answering those kind of questions. Uh, asking those kind of questions. Uh, what would be the perfect world solution to overfishing, assuming the human race retains fish in their diet? Can, can you solve all the world's problems? Go. I wish I could solve all the world's problems and uh, as, as regards to fish and fisheries and that sort of thing. I think, you know, if we just kind of look outside our box of, you know, the, the five species that most of us eat on a regular basis and try and be a little more uh, adventurous, if that is what the word is, and look to your fishmonger and look to the folks behind the fish counters and ask them, what can I try? They're, they're becoming more more educated and they've got you know 20 25 species in their fish case they don't want to just sell those top five they want to be able to educate you so look to the folks that know the fish they know the sourcing you can ask them there's a tag that will tell them exactly where that fish is caught or those uh, bivalves are harvested whatever so look to these resources and get some information and look outside your your immediate uh, likes and try something new and see what's out there and Uh, available for you to eat because you mentioned nutrition and some of the other things I just want to mention too that you know with USDA regulations and the amount of fish that they're telling us to eat that's a great thing because it's very nutritious but the oceans will not support that amount of of fisheries and that amount of fishing so we're going to have to look to farming as well as an alternative for sustainable providing all the fish that we are being encouraged to eat for a healthy diet. All right. And, and uh, what, what days do fish hate? What days do fish hate? Yeah. Sunday? Friday. Fra- oh, Friday. Come I was on. thinking Sunday out of the water. <laughs> okay, Friday. I'm not good at the jokes, uh, am I? <laughs> it's okay. Chris. Perfect. And for more information on the Sensible Seafood Program, you can go to... VirginiaAquarium.com. And of course, you can follow them on Twitter and Facebook and all the social media. And that's Karen Burns from the Virginia Aquarium. 
when is the uh, Seafood Fest? Ah, the Seafood Fest is May 26th, 2016 from 7 to 10 p.m. And we have about 30 of our restaurant partners set up here in the aquarium. You can talk to the chefs. You can try some tasty bites of sustainable seafood. And um, it is a great party and a great awareness event for the program. Perfect. Any final parting words? Have a great time here in Virginia Beach. Hope you're in for a few days, although the weather is pretty nasty today. Let's see, we had snow yesterday, and today it is pouring. So um, the weather's changed, but, uh, you know, I just encourage everybody to do some, do a little bit of legwork and some research. Find out what you're eating and try something new. Oh, P. See, <laughs> I like that. Apka. <laughs> sounds like a sore throat. It does. It does. Yeah. But it also sounds like a lot of fun because if you're an outdoors person, mm-hmm. that is a podcast channel potentially exactly for you. Right. And you can go to outdoorpodcastchannel.com and pick it up there or anywhere you get your podcast. Just search for Outdoor Podcast Channel, and you'll get a feed where every day you get a brand new outdoor podcast. You'll get a podcast from the Big Buck Registry Podcast, Bow Dudes, Bow Hunting Freedom, Fish Nerds, that's us. Yay! Hunt Fish Travel Podcast, Take Aim Podcast, The Greenway Outdoors, mm-hmm. The Turkey Hunter Podcast, Up North Journal, and Where to Hunt Podcast. Yeah, which one's your favorite, Dave? Uh, it's not the Fish Nerds. Uh, no? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I would have to say Big Buck, not because of anything, but um, I like Jay Scott. Yeah, and a nice local New Hampshire guy, too. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. funny because um, of those shows, about two-thirds of them are the, some of the top shows on iTunes right now on, on the outdoor uh, outdoor category. And uh, it's really fun to see them all in one spot. So, yeah. Yeah. And and we're, we're there, too, on the Outdoor Podcast channel. Yeah, do it. Make the best of your time and travels. Kittery Trading Post, Route 1 Kittery. Oh, that sounds so peaceful. But peaceful is not the word to describe. One weekend, every spring, every year, at the Kittery Trading Post in Kittery, Maine, because that is Fishing Fest. And Fishing Fest is known for its aggressive uh, customers going after great, great deals. So what happens is Shimano, as I understand it, Shimano and Loomis provide Kittery Trading Post with the latest gear and things, and they try it out. And a lot of times that gear is uh, provided to Kittery Trading Post that Kittery Trading Post, with the reps, can provide very inexpensively 50 to 70% off of what folks can normally get it off of list for one day, one day only, on Saturday of Fishing Fest. So I'm in the market for a new surf reel. So I thought, aha, this is a perfect opportunity to get down early and see if I can get myself a really sweet Shimano reel and do a fish nerd segment as well. So it all began early in the morning at eight o'clock and I got to go through the employee's entrance. In the back, the back area, the employee's only entrance, very exciting. Hey. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. Need to sign in. I think I'm uh, Dave with the Fish Nerds, so Nick said to come down and sign in this morning. 
You're all set. Excellent. Thanks. Someday saying Dave from the Fish Nerds is going to impress some people. <laughs> hey, people at Kittery Trade Post are great. Thanks, Paul, Nick, Donna, Ryan, the whole bunch. Really super helpful. They even help us set up. You want to get some footage of them flooding into the room? Yeah. It gets you probably in an elevated spot and watch them come through the door. It's, it's that's pretty, pretty intense. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. intense. Everybody was getting excited, and who should show up? <laughs> Captain John Tibbetts, how are you, on? sir? Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. Lindsay, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, having a good day here? Of so course. Yeah, it's always gonna... fun at KGB. I know, it's going to get crazy here pretty soon. Yes, too. the stampede will, will come through about 9 a.m. Now, while I was waiting for the event to start, I wanted to ask people, if they had to catch a fish now, what would they be going for? Brown trout. Really? Yeah, the sea run browns are starting to show up real heavy. Saco River's full of them. Um, they're catching two, three, four a day. Nice fish. So all the guys that I know are going there, um, they're specifically looking to see if they can find the shad. So they're throwing shad darts. Oh, yeah. And they're getting them as by, basically as bycatch. He caught one, and then he switched over to a, a mooselick wobbler, I think, and was pitching that in the in the eddies and ended up getting a couple sean knows his fish and he's always giving us advice on the fish nerds what you got to check out you and clay need to get balls deep sinkers i've seen them you need to get whoever invented those things you need to do an interview with them they have like sweaty balls they have like sweaty balls that was morning at our house yeah really i woke up to i'm getting these he was so excited i gotta find somebody to make me some like 20 ounce balls <laughs> because one ounce balls don't work don't work i was asking him what he was there for repping for finor stormer and quantum um and Lindsay's doing the same finor makes those big tuna reels how much are those uh, the retail's about 1300 it's lovely to have six of them on the back of the boat <laughs> look back and go hey, there's a new car i'm gonna try to get a surf reel if i can get in there you're gonna have to drop some elbows and really yeah throw down you can do it though. shimano i don't know I, I, need, I want something good but i don't want to pay a whole lot what would you get i'd go with uh, the either a new lethal yeah either a new oh, lethal or a boca how much are those right? the new finor lethals um the 120 is or the 100 is 129 and the 80s are 99 bucks and you get a 90 dollars surf bag oh everything's so expensive but that is a good deal on that surf bag. Um, I I don't know. I just hate spending money. So I, I had to think about it a little bit. All right. So 10 minutes before things start up. I realized that I had just enough time to introduce myself to one more person. And I met... Rick LaRiviere, Saco River Salmon um, uh, Restoration Alliance. Sorry. <laughs> we just changed our name. We used to be the Saco Salmon... Saco River Salmon Club yeah. and Hatchery. We're now the Saco Salmon Restoration Alliance. We have a hatchery in Biddeford. Oh, okay. Um, so we raise Atlantic salmon to the fry stage, uh, and we stock them throughout the Saco River drainage. Yeah. We also have an egg planting program, so we're directly implanting fertilized eggs into stream bed gravel. Uh, it's a new cutting-edge um, approach that's being used, and um, we're getting on board with it because we think it gives the salmon a better chance. Then I asked Rick what fish he would be catching now. 
In this area, yeah. uh, definitely would be trout. I can't catch salmon anymore, so unfortunately, I'd probably be targeting rainbows uh, mm. since they're spring spawners. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that would be the logical choice for me. Yeah. Very good. So you yeah. get the inside scoop. That's good. <laughs> Then it was time. So I am a fairly shy person. So typically I stay away from big crowded areas and especially I'm fairly predictable, not predictable. I like to think through my purchases, right? So this event is kind of anti what I like to do, but I wanted to get in there and see what it was like. So I'm looking around and this this audio footage doesn't quite get it because you can imagine probably 50 guys milling around in this room. I think they were all men at that stage. And they are just buying bunches of these reels, really expensive reels, like two or $300 each. And they're carrying around these totes that you would get in like a grocery store. And they're filled. There, there was people walking around with 10 Shimano reels. And the, the people that would get really sort of ostracized out of the group were the ones that would say, oh, let me look at a Shimano, blah, 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 and then open up the box and try to look at, like, try to do some shopping. No way. People that were used, that were planning for this all year knew exactly what they needed. They yelled it out to the guy behind the desk, and he would then bring it all together uh, and just, just be throwing gear at them, and they'd be filling up their baskets. It was hundreds, hundreds, thousands of dollars worth of gear moving through. Uh, I know it's on huge sale, but I got a little intimidated, to tell you the truth. So I ended up not getting my surf reel, like a fool. But I did try to get the audio, and for the good of the Fish Nerds podcast, try to explain the scene. Uh, so then I, I ended up just leaving the room. It's crazy in there. Yeah, it's a zoo. <laughs> it's a zoo in there. <laughs> Lindsay from MainTunaFishing.com introduced me to Aaron Divilbus with Shimano. Um, so we're here at Kittering Trading Post mm-hmm. uh, today. We're going to have casting demos outside. Um, we have Roy Leva here who's going to be doing casting demos at the, the pond this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got some, some new products out, but we've got some great old products that they're running, some, some really great prices on so if you can get out and get down here check us out i'm not a sales rep i'm part of the shimano experience team i really i travel the country generally with a truck and boat and the the most exciting part of my job is i get to take people fishing so i actually used to compete on the bass side of of fishing Mm -hmm. um and then i went to work for bass masters Mm -hmm. and through that continued to make connections and found out about the job opening at Shimano and, and went for it. I'm actually from Vermont. No. <laughs> but um, Is it all those bass, like BASS tournaments? That probably. Give you the everybody, almost everybody who works for Bassmasters is from, from Alabama. Seriously, Vermont? Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> so she knows her stuff. So I asked her about smallmouth bass fishing and smallmouth bass. The seasons are changing and the fish are constantly changing and doing different things. In the fall, same thing. Conditions change, 
the fish change, they adapt, you can still catch fish in the fall. Maybe you can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> as, as the spring moves in and the water temperature starts to rise yeah. and the smallmouths start to move in yeah. to the shore, um, a rattle trap is going to be a dynamite bait. Um, like at home on Champlain, a red rattle trap is going to be killer. So I left Erin uh, because she said I really needed to talk to her colleague, her fellow Shimano experience team member, Roy, because Roy has got it down. He does uh, he does their casting demos, for one thing. Super nice guy. So I walked around the store. Lindsay helped me find him, and I talked to Roy. Hi, my name is Roy Leva. I'm part of the Shimano experience team. Uh, we, we go out and give people the Shimano experience, um, which has a lot to do with... Uh, product, both rods, reels, uh, line in the Power Pro section. We go to events like this. We put out, you know, our low-profile rods, reels, and have people cast them and and play, get a feel. You know, and Roy knows his stuff because, you know what? He's kind of a local guy up here in the Northeast. I am from Massachusetts, Mission Hill and High Park. I'm an inner-city kid. Where did you fish when you were were growing up? Charles River. Uh, Believe it or not, that place is loaded with all kinds of stuff. A very good smallmouth bass fishery. Yeah. Very good largemouth bass fishery, but it also has a striped bass fishery, migratory, and residential fish that that hold over. Um, great white cats, channel cats, uh, trout, pike. It's got everything. I've caught tilapia in there. I've caught. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's just. There's <laughs> all kinds of stuff that end up in the Charles. So, And they are very awesome. They're great with kids. They're great with people. They're great. I, I All my light line skills came from carp fishing. Oh, nice. Because they're very easy. You know what I mean? A couple slices of Wonder Bread in your pocket, a can of corn. You're good to go, you know? So, yeah. I have a house right on Buttermilk Bay. Oh. Yeah, so I fish the canal a lot. Most of my seminars are canal seminars. So I, so I asked Roy, why should I have bought a Shimano reel? Because I'm still in the market. So I'm, I'm going between Shimano and Fenor at this stage. So, Roy, why a Shimano? Boils down to distance. Yeah. We, we, we have um, our Altegra. Well, we just introduced a new reel called the Speedcaster. Yeah. Um, yep. And these are all long cast. And what makes them long cast is very large shallow arbor spool. Yeah, okay. And then um, very slow oscillation. So depending on the reel, it either takes 50 turns of the rotor for the spool to go up and down one time yeah. or 100 turns of the rotor for the spool to go up and down one time. So the line is being micromanaged onto the reel. Okay. It's, a, it's a quick pickup, but it's just it's, it's slow getting onto the reel, and it just just micromanages the line on. So, so micromanaging is good in this situation? Yes. Yeah. It all turns down into a lot of distance with minimal effort. What? So the average person do 80 to 100 yards wow. without needing to know how to cast. Is there anything else you want to say? To... I love you, Mom. That's it. <laughs> it was a really good event. It's really, you know, what's better than the actual gear, in my opinion, is the people that you meet. You know, I ran into Sean and Lindsay, always great. The folks at Kittery Trading Post, great. Now I've met Aaron and Roy, uh, really good. Aaron, especially because she's a surprise in that. You know, you see her walking around, and um, she's she's a very uh, let's see what camera ready is a good way to say it. Camera ready woman, deep blue eyes that you kind of think, oh, you know, she must be here with. I mean, this is sexist, but she must be here with somebody else. And then you talk with her, and she is true blood fishing person, um, a way beyond fish nerd. I mean, you can tell that she has been fishing in everywhere and fishes in her blood so um 
like I said, it, it's really interesting to meet all these people. I, I, I met the salmon people. In future shows, I'll be doing a couple segments with some of the vendors that were starting new projects, as well as a group that did um, veterans fishing, where they, where they take disabled vets out fishing up in Maine. It's called In the Mainstream. So I'll be doing future segments on that. So I didn't come away with my dream inexpensive surf reel, but I did come away with great, I don't know, experiences talking with fellow anglers, which is really what I really get out of all this. So (laughs) that was my trip to Kittery Trading Post Fishing Fest 2016. Fish in the news. I love fish in the news. <laughs> I've heard that that you enjoy a good fish in the news segment. Mm-hmm. And we have it here, Phil, Field and Stream. Right. Hey, by I, the way. Yeah. Just like on the news on TV, uh-huh. when they when they read the news behind the desk. Yeah. They don't wear pants. Yeah. I also take my pants off for fish in the news. They're good. gone. I took them off just now. You're all set. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, can I get back to this? No. (laughs) Go ahead. Field field and Stream Field Notes on April 4th. They ran this story. Family charter business pleads guilty to selling thousands of fraudulent fishing licenses. Thousands? Isn't that neat? I mean, what's insane? So the DePoe Bay, or in DePoe Bay, Oregon, a family that ran a local charter business has pleaded guilty to... The fraudulent sale of 2,686 fishing licenses. That's amazing. So were they like have fakes and that way they just keep all the money? Yeah. What a great business plan. I know. And here's here's a tip for anybody who's on a charter boat. If the license is given to you on a post-it, probably not authentic. Is that what is that what they're saying happened? No, it's a joke for God's sakes. Oh. You're not it wasn't funny. No. What what? <laughs> How is that not funny? I, I just I don't I thought I'm waiting for the news, Dave. We're supposed to be a hardline news agency. Oh, for God's sakes. You All know, right. a determination has been made that people who get their news from the fish nerds are just as uninformed as those who get no news at all. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Fine. I'll get back to that, this. That's a study just released today uh, by the fish nerds. So you're allowed to make jokes and I am not. Is as that- long No. I just didn't. <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> Back to the news. Tradewind Charters pleaded guilty to racketeering. Wow, what a cool name. I know. If Wait, Tradewind Charters or racketeering? Racketeering. Sounds I know. Like, sounds like tennis. I know. If, if I want to get arrested for something, I want to be known as a racketeer. Mm-hmm. Racketeur. Oh, racketeur. Yeah. Well, and what we need is another person, then we could be the three racketeers. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. All for one and, and all for paying us. All for um, theft. <laughs> the Harmon family uh, was ordered to pay – or listen to this as a penalty. The Harmon family was ordered to sell the business Whoa. and to pay more than $125,000 in restitution. Who's going to buy a business that just got busted? The name is no good anymore. <laughs> you have to sell your crappy business. Okay. You just ruined your name. Now sell it. So that's $1.50 from the sale. Mm-hmm. And then, by the way, you have to pay 
$125,000. So only $124,998.50 left. Oh, nice. That's You're a STEM kid for getting that. I did that in my head. Nicely done. Yeah. Um, the guilty pleas were, were the result of a long investigation by the Oregon State Police Fish and Wildlife Division, which led to the arrest of the Harmons and a number of their employees. <laughs> wow. In all, the Harmon family sold about $33,000 worth of fraudulent fishing licenses at $16.75 each. That's amazing. The Harmons kept the money, never bought the actual license from the Oregon Fish and Wildlife Department. So it's actually kind of brilliant. It kind of is because, well, that means for, for such a long time, no one was checking. Right. Like, I wonder how many years did they get away with it before they got busted? Well, they said it was a long investigation. Okay. So That means no one was paying attention and went, oh, crap, pretend we were looking for a long time. <laughs> it's probably true. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure when they did a first couple of checks and realized they were they were fake ones, they uh, they started digging in. So. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's Fish in the News from uh, Field and Stream. So wow. all our charter friends out there, you might not want to do that. Well, now, I mean... I mean, this is something that's going to be happening less and less because just go online and buy your license with your phone. You don't right. you don't need to go through anybody. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, although I could see where a charter business where they have clients coming in and don't know squat, they say, yeah, look, you pay us 500 bucks that the license is, is included. Don't worry about it. You're all set. True. So. Yeah. Um, all right. The next story coming from Mental Floss. Ooh, brain cleaning. <laughs> the story is scientists say colors make salmon more belligerent. <laughs> Racist. I know. Uh, the story starts as marketeers have long known the power of color to manipulate consumers. Mm-hmm. Red and yellow is supposedly does what? Red and yellow makes you mad. Mm, makes you hungry. Oh, hungry. Think of McDonald's. Okay. Oh. Um, and while blue does what? Makes you sad? Calms you down. Oh, okay. Yeah, I should good. Okay. I was right. Apparently, we're <laughs> not alone in our subconscious response to color. Scientists say salmon kept in tanks with black backgrounds were four times less aggressive than those kept in light blue tanks. Wow. And so what, is it, what does that mean? Well, what's interesting, they point out that um, the... Dominant color for fish tanks is light blue. Right. So it's maybe not the best color to keep your fish in because they're aggressive and are burning calories and energy being being hopped up and fighting each other. Who's who, what, what aquarists are keeping salmon? No, it's aquaculturalist. But they're... Okay. You know, people like raising salmon to, to sell. Oh, I, I, I'm imagining... All right. Go ahead. <laughs> That's pretty much the story. Okay. The uh, the research did a hundred <laughs> used a hundred coho salmon uh-huh. and divided them in ten tanks with ten fish each, and then they applied different colors to the outside of the clear tank, so they got different colors. And inevitably, the fish preferred black tanks, and they calmed way down. And if they had a choice, if they didn't have black, they always chose gray or pretty much the darkest tone possible. And once it got up to light blue, they were 
they were biting each other, they were running around the tank, and they were deemed four times more aggressive than those kept in dark tanks. That's very interesting. Yeah. Wow. There you go. That's Well, tanks for that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> really? Really, you, went, you did that? I have an off night. I'm missing American Idol for this. I guess so. And, yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, this, this one comes from Mashable. Mashable.com. And the title reads, Beloved Tiny Fish Gets a Badass Viking Funeral. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at the photo now. Yeah. That is cool. That is badass. Yeah. So the story goes, this is one fish. This one fish will not be seeing the other end of a septum tank. Which septum. probably meant <laughs> septic. Septic, yes. Will not be hanging with the brown trout. Right, <laughs> exactly. A tiny pet fish named Peeping Tom, <laughs> aptly named for his love of creepily staring at people while they were in the shower. Uh-huh. Sadly passed away after his owner's dad mistakenly moved his fishbowl into the too shady part of the house. <laughs> Needs full sunshine. Right. Okay. Uh, to, to, to peep into people taking a shower. Right. He got depressed because he could no longer see people getting in the shower. <laughs> According to the uh, social media source, Tom was only six and a half years old when he met his untimely death. That's pretty old for a fish. That's pretty dang old for a fish. Yeah. And it's, it looks like a zebra tetra or something like that, or right. a zebra fish. Yeah. Right. Uh, one day, his bowl was moved out of the sunlight by my father, despite specific instructions to keep his bowl in the light. Always blaming dad. I know. I came home from work the next day to find my wonderful aquatic companion dead. It's so sad. The story goes on. To make up for this mishap, the dad decided to lovingly pay tribute to Tom's life by giving him a Viking funeral, complete with a tiny boat equipped with a sail, treasure troll, fig figurehead, and lots of matches to get the job done. Did, so you, basically, did, did you see the name of the boat? Uh, yes, I it, did see the name it's of the, the boat. It's the SS Boobies. <laughs> yeah, the father is a real sweetheart. Yeah, now a, a Viking probably would not have named the boat vo- the boat uh, the boat boobies. <laughs> probably not. No, because that's not very Nordic sounding. Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe you didn't have the right accent. Try try it in your uh, IKEA accent. Oh, is is boobies? You need a umla a booby. <laughs> booby bubbies. <laughs> well, it was named for that because S- of peeping bubbies. Because peeping Tom's activities. Right. Right. Dirty, dirty fish. Dirty fish. While it would take the, uh, the owner a while to grieve and forgive their dad for this mistake, they admit that the funeral was pretty badass. Indeed. So it was a pyre of uh, matches that, that peeping Tom was placed upon. You know what this makes me want to do, Dave? What? Uh, just burn fish. <laughs> just because it's so kind of cool. It is, yeah, the funeral pyre. So uh, let, let's take a moment of silence for um, Peeping Tom. Very you know, I, I got a fun Viking fact. Oh, good. Yeah, so this is, this is something my, my wife visited Greenland and came back with this fact, so it has to be a true thing. Oh, yeah. So, so she said that the reason that the, uh, the, the Scandinavian and Nordic people are so beautiful is because Vikings would throw ugly babies off the boats. God. Yeah. <laughs> really? That's true. Wow. 
Yeah. Is that why people that live near the shore are typically ugly? It's all the ugly babies washing ashore? They, they floated up to the beach. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> huh, okay. Yeah, yeah, totally true. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Damn Vikings. You can't make that up. No, you can't. Yeah. Um, I want to introduce a new segment in Fish in the News. Okay. Many seasons ago, many episodes ago, we suggested a series called Fisherman Finds or Fisherman Found. Yes. And so I, I, I want to resurrect that notion. Okay, I love it. And this comes from Googling the phrase Fisherman Finds. If you do Fisherman Found, there's a lot of dead bodies found. So mm. I, um, I didn't do that. But Fisherman Finds brings up some interesting ones. And it's not all recent. For instance, this story comes from 2015. And it reads, it's from our very own WMUR in oh, New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. Fisherman Finds Steel Pipe Bomb Along Merrimack River. And police say a man fishing along the Merrimack River in Concord found a steel pipe bomb. The police said it was recovered Monday. The device looked like it had been there for some time. He says the tape on it had faded and there were signs of rust. So it's a rusty pipe bomb. Cool. And it had sand and stuff in it. But that oh, it is... It doesn't sound very bomby. sounds like a tube full of sand. <laughs> it does sound like a tube full of sand. But it um, looked like a bomb. Well, the bomb squad came out. Well, so. you know, it's funny. Did I, did I ever tell I used to work at a clam uh, factory. A clam a clam factory? A, a cannery. A clam okay. cannery, right? Uh-huh. Uh, for one winter. And... It was with a it was with prison inmates on our work release program and Pakistani migrant workers. Okay. And then me and my friend uh, Ray, we were both like eighteen. Yeah, and typically your friends have a nickname. What was Ray's nickname? Uh, it was just Ray. Oh. Yeah, we were at the time we were professional jugglers out of work. God. So, yeah, I know. So it's to- it's to- totally true thing though. And uh, so we work at the cannery, and you 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 know when you're shucking clams, you're on a conveyor belt, sh- shoulder to shoulder with all these. You know, people, uh-huh. and you have a five-gallon bucket on next to your side. And when you, every time you fill the bucket, you get paid three dollars. Ah, nice. So I would fill two buckets a day. Um, I was terrible at it, but <laughs> uh, so they dredge for these big clams off the Jersey Shore, uh-huh. and they come right off the boats onto this conveyor belt. And so you're picking them up and shucking as fast as you can. And every so often, the belt would stop, and a big sound would come up, going. Argh! And everyone would be trained to duck under the line. And every five feet was a big cement barrel. And what was happening was ever so often, like every day, a grenade or a bomb of some sort would be on the conveyor belt. And if you find one, you have to grab it, throw it in the cement barrel, and hit the red button. And then everyone would duck under the line. Yeah, that's a real thing. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and yeah, just so whoever just so somebody grab it and throw it in the concrete bucket. Yeah, I never found one. Uh, wow. And I think if I did, I would have ignored it and let the guy next to me grab it. <laughs> no kidding. Take yeah. off running. I'm not touching it. <laughs> My Holy. little clam shucking gloves can't handle a bomb. <laughs> I like all those hard-boiled, you know, salty guys. Yeah, you just pick it up and throw it in the bucket. And they did. And they had a problem with it. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Yeah, worst job ever. I went from there to working at McDonald's thinking McDonald's is the greatest job on earth. <laughs> like, terrible, terrible work. 
Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That is an amazing story. Mm-hmm. And to think that, uh, you know, kept your struggling juggling career afloat. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we struggled. You, you should have juggled the bombs. I yeah, thought of it. <laughs> Yeah. Even even when I was 18, I was too smart for that. Oh, wow. I wasn't smart for anything else, but I was smarter than that. Wow. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't smart enough to go to college at 18. You know? <laughs> and and uh, you've mentioned on the show, and I love this, is that the only college you applied for was Clown College, right? Right. It's exactly true. Yeah. That's beautiful. Beautiful yeah. story. Mm-hmm. And beautiful fish in the news. So there you go. There it is. Patreon is a noble endeavor. (laughs) If you love nobility and you want to be the king of everything, give us a dollar. That's the (laughs) secret to being appreciated. Or not appreciated, whatever. Um, (laughs) Give us a buck. Go to patreon.com. Support Fish Nerds. Uh, If you haven't done it yet, do it. Yeah. So if for those who don't know the uninitiated Patreon. Come on, everybody knows. Don't even don't even go there. I'm gonna go there. No, don't go there. All right. You know what? If you don't know what it is, screw you. <laughs> Just give us a damn dollar. So that is it. That's it. You've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, and do all sorts of silly things that middle-aged guys do. If you would like to support the fish nerds, go to patreon.com and give us a dollar. (laughs) (laughs) A very special thanks to the staff at the Virginia Aquarium. Yes. For hosting the Groves family outing to look at the fish. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And a big thanks to Kittery Trading Post and all the folks there for letting the fish nerds come uh, witness the amazingness that Fishing Fest is. And until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds, spawn early and often. Avoid free lunches with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. (laughs) 